0: What's up balls of magic. Welcome back to how to be queer. Hey Alex. Hi Kimmy.
1: How you doing? I'm good. It's a Sunday afternoon.
0: It's a Sunday. We got all of our books and our things around us. We're ready to go.
1: Yeah. I'm really happy to be here with you. Me too. It's kind of like if anybody listens to us that's in Colorado, like it's been like 20 days straight of wind. (laughs) Yeah. And like not just like a, a delightful balmy breeze.
0: We were in El Nino yesterday. <laughs> La, we we, we, were, we were in La Nina. La Nina, okay.
1: And it's so, bad. we were on the soccer field. And I want to say the winds, I think I looked it up at one point. And it was like a steady, like 25 miles an hour, straight in the face.
0: <laughs> you <was> were, bullshit. <laughs> we were super excited about it. And the kid, but the kids rocked it. They like were still still playing. I just wonder what has
1: happened to me, my old age that like, I'm so fussy about wind. Yeah, Like that's the one I can, I can take heat. I can take, I can kind of, kind of take cold I can, sunshine. It never rains
0: out here in Colorado, which is a problem, but wind, wind is, wind is <laughs> aggressive and rude, <laughs> super <laughs> aggressive and rude. just in your face, literally, literally all the time.
1: <laughs> and it makes it like, I was thinking about you yesterday. Cause I, I, um, Have been known to enter myself into really long running races. Oh yeah, (laughs) because I I like to run. Although I haven't been doing it as much lately because I joined Hot Works, which I do love Hot Works. But you know, I've been known to go for you know five, six, seven mile runs. And at one point, I was up to, I was running half marathons. Mm And I remember it was like February or something. Cause the race that I was doing was in March. And so, you know, by the time you get to February, like you're up there in miles, you're probably doing like 11, 12 miles when you go out. And, um, I will never forget this one. I had to run up this hill. It was like, a, it was like one of those slow inclines, but it was like a mile <sighs> and it was, was so windy and cold. And I like cried my way. Oh no, I did. I cried. I had the mile long pity party for myself. You would think you like something would have said to me, like, Kim, you, you're actually choosing to do this. (laughs) But, but ever since then, I'm like, wind is just aggressive and rude. But I thought about you, tell everybody the story about you with your bike.
0: Oh yeah. I used to race road bikes and mountain bikes and, um, I would do criteriums and like long, long road races. And there was one way out in like way far East uh, part of Colorado. And we were in a 65 mile race. And at one point we were going eight, like the pack, we were like about going eight miles an hour into a headwind. And um, so if you're, if you've ridden a road bike, if you, if you have a speedometer on your, on your bike, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but you know, like, you can cruise like 10 12 miles an hour like you can race maybe like 15 uh, 15 to 18 miles an hour maybe hold like a, a 20 mile an hour pace so that just kind of gives you an idea of like like different averages but we were going 8 miles an hour we were cranking and it was um did you did you cry i didn't i didn't cry so but it just would
1: have been it's just me that
0: cries but you know when you're when you're racing with a bunch of beginner racers you know, all of us, you have you don't have that experience of like there's this thing called hold your line, okay? And so, we like you yell at each other or you tell yourself, you know, hold your line because if you sorry, if babe. you skew off your if you don't hold your line and you're in the pack of of sarcle- cyclists, um, you can really cause a big crash. So, we're like wobbling all over the place. And this girl, this person runs into me and hooks or handlebars into mine. And I go down, I mean, we're only going eight miles an hour, it but had to have, like you, you, you hit the asphalt, right? Yeah. And the, and, the, and then the pack keeps going. And so if you lose the pack, you have to work three times as hard to get back into, into the pack to conserve your energy. So I hop back on my bike and I like, you know, sprint, waste a whole bunch of energy to get back into the pack and um and and she was like, is that person that fell? Is she okay? They're okay. <laughs> and I turn and I'm like, you're you're riding right next to her. Them, <laughs> d- different pronouns, different life. Yeah, it's um, okay. I yeah. never hear you like refer to yourself in the past as as that pronoun. Oh, that was kind of
1: interesting. Keep going.
0: I know. I think. Well, app- well, now appropriately, I would always refer to myself as them, them, and Alex, because I've always been them and Alex. But, um. Yeah, in that maybe my my aggressive rage was just coming out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, like you, you, I want to say, in life you are not what I would describe as a super competitive person, but when it comes to like road biking, you're you you're well. I mean, you were a college athlete and you were really competitive. You like to (laughs) win.
0: Yeah. I think I really like that sense of accomplishment and like working, working together with a team. I did, I, I rode. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, that if you work your hardest, you're working your hardest with your team and that feels good.
1: Yeah. I, I, uh I, we were kind of, my mom and dad and I were having a conversation with you the other night and like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to share this because it's so you and I loved this conversation, but so my mom and dad and me and Alex were all having Dinner, And after dinner one night, my parents were just kind of like curious about your college experience being a college athlete. And my, you know, my family, everybody's gone, you know, to Penn State University where I was, I was an athlete growing up. My dad was always super invested in sports with me. He coached me in a lot of things. So like big 10, like these huge university institutions with athletics, like it's something that like my family follows, Yeah, like we'll we'll all watch football games, basketball games, all this stuff. So my, my parents and family in general are pretty fascinated that you were an athlete at probably one of the hardest universities in the country to be an athlete in like you're elite. If you're an athlete at Ohio state, right. Okay. You can see you're yes. so modest. But
0: yes. Yes, I'm proud. I'm very proud.
1: Yes. And so Alex, you're like talking to my mom and dad, and you kind of like dropped in. You're like, oh, you know, and like just that, you know, the NCAA championship twice. And we're like, you're what? Like, because to you, you were just like, Oh, yeah, it's just this like thing that I did. But I'm like, that's actually a really big deal, what
0: you have accomplished. Yeah, yeah. As an athlete. The the yeah, the the Ohio State women's rowing team collectively was a you, you guys know, were a bunch he, of
1: badasses.
0: Y- yeah. It's it's like you're not, you're not the it's it's like Abby where you're you're part of the team, but you point it at someone else. It's like, you know.
1: I know, but I'm not on your team and I'm your wife, so I'm gonna point <laughs> at you. Okay. And be like, you're kind of a badass. Thank you. I will also say that it is it is pretty common whenever I introduce you to people. Um, they like to talk to me about how you physically show up in spaces. <laughs> I don't know why people feel it necessary to tell me. I'm like, oh, I sleep with them every night. I know how they show up physically. But it, it, a lot of people do it in like a it, it, in a cute way. Like they're not being, um, they're not like dehumanizing you. Right? Yeah.
0: But one of my coworkers.
1: This cracked me up. We, I, I um, was hosting a big dinner for um, a bunch of our our coworkers and people that had come from all over the state. And you want to, do you remember what one of my coworkers said when they, you sat down across the table from them?
0: She said something like, um, do you have a license for those guns? And it was just like, yeah. I mean, she just, she was like, you got a
1: license for those guns or what?
0: And it took me a second. I'm like, oh, oh okay. Thank you. Your uh, arms, babe. <laughs> you do like you, you, but you work extraordinarily
1: hard to be strong and powerful and yeah
0: yeah it's feels, pretty cool feels good yep
1: i mean i joke around i tell people they're like what time do you guys go to bed i'm like usually at like 8 45 i'm like alex let's watch netflix <laughs> what shitty show are we gonna watch and you're like baby i gotta go to bed <laughs> Like, it's 830, but it's cause you get up at 545 in the morning Yeah. or no, no, I'm sorry. You get up at 445.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have a class at 515 that I take off. T- not, not, I mean, not every morning, but, um, a, a, bunch. Few, a few times yeah. a morning. Yeah.
1: So it's when people are always like, how does Alex look like that? I'm like, they get up at 445 in the morning. Yeah. I get up at seven and go to hot works with Andrea. There you go. And we complain the entire time. <laughs> You got to have that friend though. Yeah. That friend that's like, Oh, I'll get up and work out with you, but only if we can complain together the entire time we're in here. So yeah. it works. I love you, Andrea. I love working out with you. I
0: and have, yeah, it's amazing. I had someone, I had some come, come up to me at the gym on Saturday and said, cause, cause like the 5am crew, like they're a special group. And if, and, and sweetie, anybody that's same... getting up at
1: five o'clock in the morning to go work out is a special person.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like, people are there to work hard. And and so like, you think you can just like drop into a and like slip in, slip out. And, and someone was like, you haven't been there in a while. Like, where have you been? And it was almost like, they weren't shaming me, but it, it actually felt good to be like, Hey, we noticed you're not, you haven't been there. And, um, and it just, it was a little positive motivation, you know, What'd you do? Like take a
1: couple of days off over spring break or something?
0: Yeah. Like okay. I, I didn't go, I, I, I gave myself some time off and, yeah. and it's that you can obviously, you can, you know, I, I allowed myself that, that rest, but also when someone else notices that you're not around because you're all doing this hard class together, it was just kind of like, oh yeah, teammate, you know, Hey, hey teammate, you weren't here. Like, yeah. are you okay? What's going on? Like, so I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be there.
1: You got your little crew. Yeah. I'm cool. happy you have that. Yeah. So that was a really long intro. Sorry, folks. <laughs> but y'all want to, you tell us you like sitting at our kitchen table and this is the shit that we talk oh, about. Yeah. Hey, so I wanted to kind of set up our episode this week because we've had some really interesting sort of like generational experiences Mm -hmm. lately with um, some training. And so I've shared on here pretty openly that I am, my official title at work is I am a um, chief DEI officer. If you're asking what a DEI officer is, it is you are focused on um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I have a specific background towards it that's geared towards media. I've worked in media since 1998. I can tell you, the good, the bad, the ugly. I've been in commercial media. I've been in independent media. Now I'm in public media. And um, for where I'm at, I'm we're part of the PBS family with you know television stations and radio stations. And you know people have heard um, Dr. J on here. Dr. J is my co lead in this work. Um, it is purposeful that it's, it is led by Dr. J who is biracial and myself, who I am white and I'm queer um, because it takes all sorts of different leadership to lead inclusion efforts. You need, you need a little bit of everybody to come to the table, but, um, and this kind of ties back like to, what, you know, Alex, like we, you've always said to me, like you, you are um a, you're a trainer in a lot of things around LGBTQ issues. Um, but you are also a trainer in the physical sense. Yeah. And you've always said to me like trainers need
0: trainers. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been same- in fitness since 1998
1: like, too. Yeah. But it's the same thing for me. Like even, even though I've, I have worked, um, really hard, I do have a lot of, uh, uh, privilege that has helped me get to where I've gotten, um, Dr. J is an amazing um, business partner for me to have in the, in the work that we do, but I also have a trainer around equity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had a couple over the years. Um, this woman, Manolia, I've worked with um, Kimberly, Spe- uh, maybe I shouldn't say her last name, but uh, a woman, Kimberly, that I worked with for years. And now I work with this woman, Manal um, Bybeth. I know she'd be okay okay with me saying her name because you all can go out and get her book, which is Equity, How How to Design Organizations Where Everyone Thrives. Mm -hmm. And I'll I'll have Alex link um, the information into this, but she she is my trainer in understanding how to um, constantly be learning and stretch my brain. And sometimes it is a lot of the stuff that we talk about on this podcast. And so Mm -hmm. I spent this past week, I, I got to spend two days with her I'd been training with her for about six months, um, and then I spent the last you know two days in a really particular training around systems, and so that's a bit what we're we're going to talk about today with, uh, in particular, with the LGBTQ community. How does that sound, Alex? Per- perfect. You know what we didn't do though. Going to all the things we didn't. Yeah, we didn't. You didn't. We. I, I kind of jumped in about your your body and working out and hotness sorry we are powered
0: by youth scene <laughs> so professional they let us do our our uh, well-produced unedited podcast thank mm-hmm. you youth scene um go over and check them out youth S-E-E-E-N.org. um yeah click that donate button
1: we would not be here without be their here. support yeah. And and Dr. Tara J, who I just mentioned, who works with me on the media sides of things, is also the co-founder and leader of Youth Scene.
0: And Black Pride Colorado.
1: And Black Pride Colorado is just an amazing human being all around. And so go over there and show them some love. We would not be here without them. Yes. So Alex, can you, do you mind, like, I want to talk about um, the university that we were just at. Mm-hmm. we were invited into a university. Can you tell everybody, like,
0: how did that come to be? And then I want to tell everybody about what it was like. Um, so oftentimes in the LGBTQ community, you know, I guess, you know, someone who knows someone who knows someone a little, well, you build your community. Yeah. So, um, there was, uh, I'm connected to a person through an organization called Dragutant, And on a side note, that's a, Wonderful organization um, that supports youth through drag, drag performance, and um, so. Their one of their kiddos is at a college here in Denver, and who runs um, the the QSA. I think they call it a QSA.
1: What What is the Q for? Is th- it queer? I
0: think Queer Student Alliance. Okay, yeah. So they asked us to to come in and talk about and talk to the QSA, but also to. Um, educate some of the staff and and um, housing staff on how to create safer spaces for students. So I have a couple of thoughts even in the, even in the beginning. And saying that that you know a
1: lot of times like you, people might know this is a G, a GSA which was for a long time that was what Gay Straight Alliance.
0: Yeah, and now it's Gender Sexuality Alliance, I've heard. Or it's QSA, Queer. Or queer, now it's QSA. But the basic purpose of these groups
1: is that they're led by allies and people of the queer community to create safer spaces for everyone.
0: Yeah, I kind of look at them like I've been in a couple in in, in, in a middle school or, or in, in, in middle schools and they're like little bubbles of love in a heteronormative bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess that's
1: like a really good segue into what we wanted to talk about today, because listen, there's some of you that have been listening to our podcast and I got to tell you, I freaking love y'all because you, you call us and you're like, Kim and Alex, would you come do some training? And we're like, we sure will. Mm -hmm. So our community has been amazing, amazingly supportive of um, reaching out to us to actually pay us for our. Our in insight in our work because you should be paying people that are doing equity work, especially when they are of the community that you're asking them to educate people on. So, I wanted to, we were going to talk a little bit about understanding um, workforce today, and and a little bit about what um, I, li- I wanted to share a little bit what I was working on with my trainer Manal because it was, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily like you hear something new, but sometimes you you open your mind up to hearing how another person sees it or explains it. Mm-hmm. And it just levels you up in a deeper level of understanding. Yeah. And so, um, I say this a lot, Dr. Jay says this a lot. And Manal says this too. There is no expert. Yeah. There's no such thing as a diversity expert. Anybody that tries to tell you they're a diversity expert, I, I would, I don't want to like yuck somebody's yum. Um, but from my perspective, I am constantly understanding myself and the world around me and as other people get more language that helps understand them then i get to understand them so it's like it's always ongoing and unfolding yeah and i also am like y- there's no equity in in shaming people by thinking like i know more than you
0: yeah if you can say you know uh, if if anyone can say to themselves like i don't i don't know everything and that's okay like i i'm going to learn from other people like what a more, way more inclusive world. Right. Like right. we should all be saying that, but I mean, there, obviously there are people out there who are like, oh, I am an expert in all of these things. Yeah. And I guess to some extent, like I'm an expert in, in me, I'm
1: an expert yeah. in myself and my own lived experience, which sometimes I do like to share because it's healing for me. And then I know what it feels like when somebody is willing to trust me and share me with you know their experience. And I'm like, ah, oh, I get it. I get Mm -hmm. it. Right. Yeah. So I, about all the people that I've worked with over the years, that is the one common thread between all of us. We're all like, there is no expert. We are all doing the best that we can with the information that we have and being open and inclusive and sharing it.
0: I wonder that concept, maybe this is another, another podcast, but that concept of being an expert where that came from, probably some (laughs) white supremacist (laughs) asshole. (laughs) probably i will control everything (laughs) i am the expert you will be this way i mean i would definitely
1: say you're an expert in a few things um especially understanding different um family structures like (laughs) i've learned so much by listening to you that even now when we're watching like selling sun selling sunset on
0: netflix and I can like spot the narcissism and you're just like, uh-huh. <laughs> Toxic filming It's, I wish my brain could turn it off, but I But I, I spot it now. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. I say that a lot of times about systems of oppression. Yeah. And,
1: and your whiteness and your own white fragility that once you see it, it's really hard to unsee it. And if you're choosing to unsee it, you got some questions to ask yourself. <laughs> yes. I'm learning that stuff too. So, um, let's talk about work first for a minute. Okay. Okay. So here's what I am. I'm fascinated by understanding different things around generations. I don't know our friend, Andrea, who I talk about here all the time. She's also someone because of her job, she does a lot of marketing research. And so she knows a shit ton about um, different generations and how they just show up and how it relates to marketing and products. we should I wish she was here today with us, but her daughter went to the prom last night and she's like, we are doing nothing but sleeping today. yeah <laughs> so um t- there's five generations right now in the workforce and um, as I go through this, depending on like what what um what information you're taking in to like define this, there's a little bit of variation in all that. and sometimes like there's different, wording around generations. So like, this is just what I found. And it is a little bit of like an aggregate of a bunch of different numbers. So it's not an exact science. So save your email to me. I know. Okay. So five generations in the workforce, we have traditionalist, which is 76 to 99 that makes up about 70, right? Like 76 years old to 99 years old. Sometimes I joke around with you, Alex, that this is going to be, you know, at that time of my life, we might be handing out the Costco samples and everyone's going to love you. And everyone's going to hate me.
0: I want to hand out the barbecue sandwiches. I'm, I get so angry in
1: Costco and Alex fucking loves it. And I hate fucking Costco. Me and Dr. J go to Costco together. We're like, look over here. And I, I can't go with them. I'm like, you two are evil in here. We don't need to eat every Sample, we don't have to look at every product. I'm never getting out of here. (laughs) I want to die, Alex. I do. I'm like Alex. We're not looking at that today. It's so pretty. I know you love to shop and like tinker with things, and I I am like, I have a list. I am in and out of there.
0: I'm a tinkerer for sure. You do. You love to. Every store we go to, you're like that.
1: I know. I'm so curious about. (laughs) Like I hate going to Whole Foods with you. Super, but so will... you don't tinker as much, but my god, like you can spend like a solid hour just looking at the chip aisle.
0: Well, and <laughs> and I I don't tinker as much when I'm with you because I know, but if I'm by myself, all thing everything goes out the window. <laughs> I,
1: well, this is the other funny thing about us is not only do you like tinker, and I'm so like we are in and out of these places. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to smile on anybody. Like I just want to go buy the thing I need to and like get out of there. I also can't take the self-checkout line. Yeah. And we've gotten to the point where my anxiety is so bad. You actually hand me the car keys and you're like, can you please just go away? Just leave the store.
0: Go away. (laughs) Dear listeners. I don't speak to her that way, but let's just say (laughs) that I'm like, honey, you can go to the car. It's okay.
1: (laughs) I know you do say
0: it like much sweeter, but like what I'm reading is
1: Kim, you are ridiculous. Can you please get out of my face right now? (laughs) Yeah. I love you. I love you too. Anyway, but that was a segue. It was sorry. It's okay. Okay. Coming back to it. So traditionalist 76 to 99 years old, that makes up about 2% of our workforce. Our baby boomers are 57 to uh, you know, roughly 75 years old, about 25%. Gen X, which is both you and I, 41 to 56 years old, about 25%. Millennials, 26 to 40 years old. They make up the, um, in 2016, they became the largest generation at work, around 33%. And then Gen Z, which is 25 years old and younger. And they make up right now about 11.6%, but they are going to become 30%, like really quickly, like within the next, I think six, seven years, they will become one of the largest. Um, I think the second largest generation, they, I don't know that they're going to catch millennials, but it, they're going to get there pretty quickly. So you might be like, well, why does this even matter? Like Kim, why are you even talking to us about this? Cause here's the thing about Gen Z that I think people, most people know this, but I'm going to share it anyway. Gen Z is the most ethnically diverse generation. So about half of Generation Z is non-white. The other thing that's fascinating about Gen Z is what do we know about Gen Z and LGBTQ?
0: Well, one in six Gen Z youth will come out or will be, or will share, I should say, will share that they are LGBTQ. Yeah. That's a lot.
1: That's a lot. And so- um, where I, I, I always find it interesting when people are like, well, you know, if part of our, our podcast, we're like, oh, well, it's how to be queer, right. How to be queer in a world. That's like very cisgendered and heteronormative. I, I, I got n- news for everybody. Like this world is changing. Um, we are going to see, especially with younger generations, much more ethnically diverse and much more inclusive of gender, not necessarily being binary, um, sexuality yeah. being much more fluid, just a much more inclusive generation is going to be taking up much more space than they do right now. So what does that mean?
0: Yeah. Which, okay. Yeah. Do you want me to go to what it means? Well, go as in, I was just connecting it. Maybe I'm one step ahead of you or. Well, this, I'm going to share one more. Yeah. I'm gonna sh- oh, so
1: we're going to get to the school, but one thing I, I wanted to also share, because this is really, really important is so when we talk about like inclus inclusivity and especially around like work and school, so any of your like big institutions, healthcare, any of this stuff. So a staggering 99% of generation Z has said that DEI work or inclusion work is important. And 87% said it was very important. 99%. There's only 1% that said, eh, it's not important. So, you know, somewhere, so 88, 87% saying very, very important um, I think it's 12% saying it's, it's important. It might not be the most important thing, but it's pretty
0: important. So wait a minute. I wonder how, the, maybe this is like a tangent. I'm sorry. Okay, No, I'm no, sorry. Not sorry. How I mean, many we usually stay completely on task? I, I know <laughs> how many of that 99% stay in like performative. Well, I mean that we don't know. Right. Um, well, I mean, maybe you do, but not from the study that
1: I've prepared for us today. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to talk about it. Okay, keep going. Yeah, I mean, we can have a whole other discussion around what is genuine allyship versus what is performative activism.
0: That's another episode.
1: It is. But to give a quick definition, when we say, you know, genuine allyship, it's when you are centering around the activism, not the activist. And performative is where you're more focused on yourself. Yeah. This is what I think we should do about, you know, uh, the inclusion, right? You're just very like me, 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 me centered. Yeah. This is what, you know, and, and really what we all want to go for is genuine allyship, which is we're all working around the activism and you may have an activist who's
0: leading it. Does it start that way? Cause like, we, we don't learn from shame. So like, does it start where it's like, kind of like you start performative because that's just the way we're wired or does, how does that work? You
1: are like leading me right into one of the things I wanted to talk about today. Did Good. you know that? You Good. did know that, didn't uh, you? <laughs> hey. So to me, when we talk about what is genuine allyship versus performative. So it is where we focus on a lot of times, like the activism. And in some cases, the systems of oppression, not necessarily a person that is oppressed. And I can get to that. Like I'm going to get to that later in the episode, but it's a really key distinction between the two. Okay. So yeah, genuine, genuine allyship. And like another really good example is um, David, I always feel like I'm pronouncing his last name wrong, but Hog. H O O G. And he was one of the survivors of the parkland shooting. Oh, and yeah. he has become a really, really um, he's generation Z and he is an incredible activist around gun legislation. Okay. So if you're not following him on Twitter, like look, this look, this young man up, he's really impressive. So like the difference is like, you know, he of course was impacted severely from parkland. He survived. I think there was like 30 some kids that were um, murdered at parkland and he survived and he's turned it. turned He's become an activist, but the the purpose is like we should focus on his act on the activism. The activism that he is putting forward is for gun gun control reform, right? Right. Not on him. Right. But sometimes you get these, you know, leaders that are like him, where. He is able to lead people, but I think he would say, can we not focus on me? Can we focus on what actually needs to change? Yeah, yeah since so just an example. so performative yeah. would be like look at David or David being like, look at me, look at me, look at what I'm doing yeah And really he's like, no no no, no, it's not about me. yes I yes, I survived this. yes, I'm gonna put myself out there to be fighting for it, but it's about the change that yeah. we want to see yeah okay. So now you want to tell people about the school?
0: What happened when we went? Yeah. So, um, all the, everyone in in attendance was from the QSA. So we prepared our, I'm just kind of going to the facts. Mm -hmm, Like we, mm -hmm. we prepared our presentation and did, did the thing that they told us they needed. And, and, um,
1: which was like basic language around LGBTQ.
0: Yeah. And then, yeah. And incorporated, um, what else? Hetero yeah. I guess I'm. It's just all the things. H- heteronormativity, um, LGBTQ pronouns. There's all these things.
1: Well, w- yeah. I mean, you went into like, like, what do you do when you mess it up?
0: Yeah, um, allyship and act and what? Like, what does act stand for? Like, yeah.
1: All the things is yeah. what they
0: told us they needed.
1: So, okay, keep
0: going. So, um, and then it was a little bit like, I mean, we. It, it was. Ugh, it was, I'm having trouble, like, because the people that kind of, and, and everyone there, uh, the students who were there were acknowledging, like, the people who needed this didn't show up. They just didn't show up. They just didn't show up. Like, the, like the, the professors and the, and the staff that it was kind of for um, didn't come. They opted out. They opted out. Cause they probably were like, this doesn't apply to me or who the fuck knows. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I don't want to like, I, I guess we're taking, cause we don't know why they didn't show yeah, up. Yeah,
0: I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry.
1: But let's make a, can we make some assumptions? Cause it's our podcast and we can do whatever <laughs> the fuck we want. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. I'm going to make some assumptions that people think learning about inclusion is optional. Yeah. And so
0: if. It, School districts, oh, did I say that? Yeah, you did. Keep School going. districts do this all the time. It's fucking
1: crazy. And um, I think part of the reason we're, you know, is like sharing and this, some of the stuff I'm sharing actually comes from a work presentation that I do when people are like, I don't need no DEI. I'm friends with everybody. I'm like, let me explain to you why you do. Because if this was about just liking everyone, this shit would have been solved a long time ago. Right. Mm-hmm. This is actually something you need to learn. You need to learn.
0: Yeah. We, we, and we have personal experiences in our, in our, in our circle of, of people who are like, so-and-so is queer. Like anyway.
1: Yeah. It's go. the equivalency. Like I, you, you want to think at some point that like people have learned, like I have a black friend or I have a queer friend, like that does not actually mean shit. Yeah. But I, it, it, it it's still like, I, I do And it's, it's fascinating to me, like as a trainer with this stuff, because I do get a lot of pushback and and, and I get it. It's people's fragility and they're, they're good people. I'm not saying they're not good people. There's lots of good people that are out there and they don't realize that they're causing harm. Um, and they don't realize that this is actually something you need to learn. And I'll tell you from all my friends that have been interviewing for jobs, this question is going to come up in your job interviews.
0: Yeah. So this is where we're going next. Keep going. Yeah.
1: Like it's, it's going to come up. It's coming up more and more and more because your workforce that is going to be the largest part, they think this is pretty important. So, I mean, I feel like it might be a good time to double down on some learning.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: Because, you know, this is where our world's going. Embrace it. Embrace it. Call, it's okay not to know. If you're going to call yourself a lifelong learner. Well, and there's a lot of like really um, clear uh, sayings about this. that, Like, it's not your fault that you were socialized in the ways that you were. Yeah, It's not your fault that you have privilege. It is your fault that once you recognize it, if you don't start leaning into understanding how it works and what you need to do to become a more inclusive person that that is your fault. Yeah. So anyway, so we go to the school. <laughs> yeah. All the, all the folks that we were like, Hey, um, they were the ones that actually needed this. So we ended up just spending a lovely hour with the students there.
0: Oh yeah. It was, it was an amazing. Conversation. It was a
1: wonderful. I learned a lot from them. Yeah. Um, It was a great conversation, but I'll, I'll be, I'll be honest. Like it was a little bit like, I wasn't surprised that the people that needed it, because I see this all the time with people kind of pushing back and being like, I, I don't need this. I get along with everyone. I'm like, again, it's not about that. It's not what this is about. It's not what we're talking about. Um, it was just, dis- I was disappointed. I wish they would have shown up. Me too. Me there's you no harm? And there's no shame in coming into something and being like, I'm here to learn because I don't understand this yet. That is totally yeah. okay. Yeah. What's not okay is to avoid it. Right. Okay
0: where are we going next? Um, do we already, already connect that to the LGBTQ w- workforce not. in Gen Z they will crush you if they, if you <laughs> well, don't get your shit together. <laughs>
1: I mean, talk about like, talk about a moment of like humility though, of it's, it was just super fascinating um you know we're on the stage and they they've got this you know our powerpoint presentations up and you're doing the you know fancy clicker thing and you're like i there is nothing that i'm going to probably give this generation especially the the people that we were talking about lgbtq youth everything we were there to talk about these kids know like the back of their hands yeah. and they also don't like they just don't see and i know that they definitely i don't mean to say that like this generation doesn't face crap from people that are still Bigoted and oppressive, like they do. It's not to be like, hey, everything's done because we know what's um, and we can get into some of the statistics. But this, the this stuff, especially around like going beyond the gender binary, mm-hmm. they're like, okay, cool. I got it. They pronouns, I yeah. got it. Like s- s- sexuality being fluid,
0: asexuality, po- polyamory, like all of it. They're like, uh huh. And yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it makes me, it reminds me of like, can I tell a little personal story? Of course. A very short one. It's your podcast. You Um, actually get to do whatever the fuck you want. (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) So I don't know, not shortly after, but maybe um, trying to think like a year or so after I came out as non-binary and, you know, I share with my kids and all things and our littlest, we were in a Whole Foods and I needed to go to the bathroom. And so, um, littlest also needed to go to the bathroom. And so we go there and there's women's and men's and littlest. Well, I can just say Lincoln, um, just walks right into the men's bathroom and pauses in the doorway. And I'm like staring at these two options. Like I'm paralyzed. And Lincoln looks at me. He's like, mom, it's just a bathroom. And I was like, "Fucking shit, you're five years old, and you don't write." Yes, yes.
1: It's just a bathroom. It's
0: just a bathroom. And so, I looked at him and I said that I was like, "You're so right, Lincoln. Thank you." Like mm-hmm. he was able to, he put everything together. Like just because his conditioning is not, was not mine. Yeah, and is just living in a completely different world.
1: Well, and I'm glad that you brought up bathrooms because number one, like, well, I mean, Lincoln is also, I mean, he's our child. So clearly he's exceptional and wonderful. (laughs) He's a ball of magic. He's a ball of magic. Um, but bathrooms in particular are a safety issue, but not in the way that people think. Mm-hmm. So I'm always amazed. Like when I go and do like inclusion work and have conversations with people around, like, what's your bathroom situation? I'm like, oh, we have men's and women's. I'm like, oh, that's a safety issue. And they're like, what do you mean? I don't want to share a bathroom with a trans person. And I'm like, oh no, 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 no. Let's not get this twisted. Who is this actually a safety issue for? Mm-hmm. And so there is the issue of like, I want, I want to, I want to work in a place where I know if, if I'm going into a bathroom, I'm safe. And who is the victim of violent crimes? It's, it's,
0: it's the trans person. It's the
1: trans person. Yeah. Right.
0: Not the cis or yeah,
1: not the, not the cisgender. Like that, that's not like, let's not get this twisted. The other thing that if you, if you have the ability to change this at your office, if you are a person that does not identify with one gender or the other, if you're non-binary or you, maybe you're a trans individual. What ends up happening to trans people at work or non-binary people at work when they have to go to the bathroom, they end up holding it almost all day.
0: Yeah. I go to a different floor mm-hmm. at, at one of my jobs. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's, it's pretty well documented Yeah, that, that, that is a safety and health issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can't get one bathroom in your building to be a gender neutral bathroom, I don't understand I usually have a story about this at work. I don't know if I can actually tell it. I might get in trouble for telling it. <laughs> Maybe I'm going to rethink this story, but it is about, we have gender neutral bathrooms in, in the building that I work in. I'm just going to say, I almost got fired over it. You could change names. And I think everybody knows where I work. Okay, <laughs> Bye. Of, I'm just going to say, I almost got fired for how much I was like, absolutely not. And to the point where I'm kind of telling the story, It's okay. But the, the person who was the, very rich, very influential person that was on our board that was the head of making, you know, all of the decisions about bathrooms after I had caused such a stink and made like okay, we're going to have these bathrooms. It cost a certain amount of money to do that. Yeah, she came up to me at a party, handed me her empty wine glass, and said, "You just cost me eighty thousand dollars. You can go to the bar and get me a glass of wine." And I was <laughs> and I was basically her bitch the rest of the night. <laughs> felt super comfortable. Oh uh, yeah, that was awesome, but we did get those bathrooms. Okay. So the other thing I wanted to, to share is because we're talking a lot about equity today is, um, I don't even know how to say this because we, there's a shit ton going on in the country now with legislation. And if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you would have heard Alex and I say numerous times, buckle up folks. This is going to get worse before it's going to get better and so how did we know that um how did we know to share that because as lgbtq people um we follow a lot of the legislation that's happening and we knew that by following it that there this was going to be a season of well choreographed timed attacks that were going to come out state by state and it is um it is it is very well orchestrated so that's why people are like oh my god it's like one state after another that we're seeing these incredibly harmful anti-LGBTQ laws coming out. It's not just Florida. It's not just Texas. It's not just Idaho. Like we are, we're going to see it in about half the country is, is what it's going to end up being
0: Ohio where I'm from Ohio just dropped something.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's going to be in about, I want to say, y'all can look at a map and figure out like where we've got red States and blue States. Um, this has been timed and it's very purposeful. So a couple of things around that. Um, we haven't been talking about a lot on this podcast and that tells me a little bit about maybe where Alex and I are emotionally with this of seeing it.
0: Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. Mm -hmm.
1: It's hard. Um, like I will not take our family to any of these states anymore because I'm terrified of what could happen to us in these states. Mm-hmm. And so before you come at me with some type of positive, oh, but I it's so inclusive. I see gay people there all the time. Like, I'm gonna need you to like really pause and think about what you're saying to me, Yeah, okay. Um. I don't care that you might see other gay people living in these States. They're living under a condition that they shouldn't be forced to live under. Mm -hmm. So like, please don't try to toxic positivity me out of this. It's wrong. It's dehumanizing. I cannot believe that this is where we are. And I also believe that this is where we are. Yeah. So part of what, and I was mentioning Manal because this is what Manal and I were working on this week is Alex is going to share. And so like a little bit of like a trigger warning, Um, Alex is going to share a little bit of some statistics around what is happening to LGBTQ folks, specifically LGBTQ youth. So this is your trigger warning that if you are somebody that's listening, that finds these statistics, like triggering, like you might just want to fast forward us for a bit until we start talking about like Costco again, or Alex muscles, (laughs) So this is, your, do you have them pulled up Alex? Cause I'm going to keep sitting here and highly produced podcast. Okay. So trigger warning, like this is your time to get out. Okay. So Alex, tell us a little bit, like what is happening? Cause this is a mental health crisis
0: at this point. Okay. This, um, the resources from the Trevor project, you can go to the trevorproject.org and Um, So this report is they surveyed um, over 34,000 respondents in LGBTQ youth mental health. And so among the among the key findings was that 39 percent of LGBTQ youth seriously considered attempting suicide in the past 12 months, with more than half of transgender and non-binary youth having seriously considered 71% 71% of queer youth reported feeling sad or hopeless for at least 2 weeks in the past year. Um, less than half of queer respondents were were out to an adult with um youth less likely to disclose their gender identity than than sexual orientation because sexual orientation and gender identity are different. Um one uh, sorry, two and three queer youth reported that that someone tried to convince them to change their sexual orientation or gender identity with youth who have gone undergo um, who have undergone conversion therapy. Um, I just need to take a breath while I like read through this. Okay, <sighs> have undergone conversion therapy more than twice as likely to attempt suicide as those who did not. Alex is taking another breath. Okay, yeah here they come <laughs> um 71% of lgbtq youth in our study reported discrimination due to either sexual orientation or gender identity can i just say too that you know when we talk about discrimination this this doesn't have to be like calling people you know the f word or you know um or blatant names it's like you know it's I guess, microaggressions, it's stuff that you are just constantly under all day long. Um, So we can get into that later. Um, 58% of trans and non-binary youth reported being discouraged from using a bathroom that corresponds with their gender. 76% of the youth felt the recent political climate impacted their mental health or sense of self. And 87% of the youth said it was important to that. Are you still with me, everybody? I'm with you. Stay with me because you need to hear this. I know it's hard to, hard to listen to, but stay with us. So, um, 87% said it was important to them to reach out to a crisis intervention organization that focuses on LGBTQ youth. And 98% said a safe space social networking site for LGBTQ youth would be valuable to them. So, um, yeah. So why, um,
1: you may be asking like, why, why are we reading through those statistics? And so this past week I was, I keep saying I I was working with, um, Manal this week and it's understanding, like when we look at statistics, which we just did, Alex just gave us like the breakdown of like, this is actually what's happening to our youth. We have this, and and it goes to, to this thing that Herbert Hoover did. Um, Herbert Hoover, one of our United States presidents a long time ago, he coined this term that was called rugged individualism, which is a little bit like how we identify an individual sometimes as being self-reliant, um, and that they're independent from the outside. And, you know, it. In some ways, it's like, we, we're, yeah, we're, we're self-reliant. We're, we're these individuals. And you see it in ways of like, um, when we look at like millionaires and billionaires, right? We see this rugged individualism where we think like they did it on their own. It's the American dream and they achieved it all by themselves, which as we know from elizabeth warren and a lot of her famous speeches not true because if you were building even a factory in american soil you were getting to that factory on roads that were paved by your government so like sit down you didn't do it by yourself <laughs> <laughs> sit down be quiet so so rugged individualism where sometimes we we do look at it in these ways of like hey this person succeeded and look at that you know individualism what did they what did they do that got them there right we see it in the positives but then we also see it in the negatives So we tend to look at things like, especially around mental health. um, And we tend to see it, that there's something about that individual that is making their mental health suffer. And this is where rugged individualism is really dangerous and harmful. And, and honestly, it's, it's like almost like gaslighting, right? Because you're saying that, well, it's, we tend to look at, especially with LGBTQ youth and suicide, we think that there's something wrong with them. There's something wrong with their brain and when in fact, it is not, it is the systems that are around them that are causing, right? There is a reason why all of these LGBTQ youth are facing the statistics that Alex gave. It has nothing to do with them as individuals. It has everything to do with the systems that are around them. So what are those systems? Well, you're seeing it, folks. You're seeing it where these kids live in states where they're being told you cannot say the word gay.
0: Yeah. And in Alabama, you you they're stopping... The transgender teens from transitioning. So, what with that is a system,
1: right? Gender affirming care and not allowing access to it—that is a system. So, in it, this is like I can't. I, I spent so much time thinking about this week, and it applies to many different things, not just LGBTQ kids. And I'll give another example, um, just if it's helpful for people to kind of like go around with this thinking but rugged individualism that like your mental health is not caused by you. You are fine. It is the systems that are around you that are, are, are putting this on you to a way where it feels like your mental health is deteriorating, right? Because you've been gaslit into thinking no, we're not going to say the word gay. And that's totally fine. No, it's not. It is not okay to deny people of their existence, to deny them access to healthcare, to deny them the use of a bathroom that affirms with their gender identity. All these systems is what is causing the mental health breakdown of an entire generation of youth. So I just wanted to be really clear about that. I'm going to give you another example. A lot of times when you're reading Um, and this is so, so for, so media professionals, like, this is really something to think about. And like, when you report, and this is what we were talking, I was talking about with Manal all week, and she's really, really good at highlighting this. A lot of times, like when we're reporting something, you start with this, the, the statistic statement. So in this example, we're going to compare, um, diabetes with white Americans versus black or African-American, um, citizens. And the statistic is going to tell you that black or African-American citizens, they suffer from diabetes at a rate that's maybe what, I don't know, I'm making this up. I don't really, I can't remember the exact statistic, but like, you know, twice as many as their white counterparts. And so when you start with that statement, the way that our brains are wired to like condense information down, right. To like quickly process information. We um, automatically, our brains are going to say, Oh, well then black Americans must be doing something versus white Americans. It's black Americans fault that this is what's happening. And that's actually not true. You have to look at what is the system that would be causing a higher rate of diabetes amongst black or African-American citizens versus, well, I should say, I shouldn't even say citizens. I'm sorry. That's triggering word people. Versus America, uh, white America, holy fuck him, um, against their uh, white counterparts. So when you look at the system, so follow with me here, what are the systems that would be in place where Black or African Americans would not have the same access to healthcare as their white counterparts? And you can go all the way back. To redlining, to the way that the GI Bill worked, to the way that we do property taxes on housing, and that gives you access to school and education, and then based off of where your home is because of redlining, your access to different types of food. Those are the systems which are causing a higher rate of diabetes amongst Black and African American African Americans in our in our country. Not that it's not them. Like, that's what's so frustrating about the way that our brains work, because our brains want to get to the point as quickly as possible. So if I just give you that statistic of white Americans versus black or African American, if you present it that way, people won't go to the systems, their brain shortcuts and says, well, there must be something that's happening in black people's bodies. Not true. It is the system that has been built that is causing the outcome of a higher rate of diabetes. Same thing with LGBTQ youth. It's not them. It's the systems around them that are causing this. Yeah. Sorry, I know it's depressing as shit, isn't it?
0: Well, yeah. Um, Yep. I was just thinking, I wanted to go back one step though real quick and we'll come back forward. I'm sorry. Um, You said- the word citizens. Yeah. T- can you share why?
1: Oh, cause we've lots of people that live in our country that aren't citizens. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And I think, um, this is, and again, like when I say there's no expert, like you guys can hear me on here. Like it's a lot of words that I'm trying to get out really quickly. And sometimes my brain shortcuts things. So yeah, okay. I mean, I'm not saying it to be harmful. It's just, it's people people that live in a geographic area and I shouldn't refer to them as citizens because we've lots of people that live here that aren't citizens. Okay. I just wanted the other word that was um well I, that's a whole a whole other um episode. But the point being when people say things like hey, I get along with everybody or I have um Hispanic, Latino, Latina, Latinx friend, Black friend, gay friend. I don't need to think about inclusion. That's where I come back to you. And I'm like, it's not about liking somebody or treating somebody respectfully. It's about understanding these systems that have been here and are are continually working to oppress people. Yeah. Whether in the, the treatment or the way that we talk about things that face them or that we don't, which is a form of gaslighting. Um, There is a difference between interpersonal racism, interpersonal oppression, and systems, and and the systematic oppression of people. Those two things are different. So if you are sitting there and thinking, I don't need to do work in equity because I'm a nice person, you're wrong. You're just wrong. Yeah. You've got to look at the systems that you're participating in and then start thinking, what do I need to do to dismantle it? Mm -hmm. So that's like the next question, right? That everyone says me, well, how do I do that? You first have to start by seeing it. That's your first step.
0: Yeah. That's it. That can be a big bite, right? Mm -hmm. How do you get people to see it?
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, that's a really, I mean, I, I, in some ways I'm like, I feel like I've dedicated my adult life to this. Um. A lot of times I do think it's in the approach. So I don't use shame as a motivator because again, it's not your, it is not your fault that you were born into these systems, right? That's not your fault. It's not your fault that you were socialized in these ways. It is your fault if you continue not to look at them. Yeah. So the first thing is, I think when we take shame and wokeness out of the conversation, like um, and Dr. Jay and I talk about this a lot. How do we look at equity as being restorative and not punitive? So woke culture to me and cancel culture. Like that's punitive. That's straight up being like, I just, I, I'm going to say things and maybe I'm going to get them right. Maybe I'm going to get them wrong. And when you say something wrong, because we all do mm-hmm. it's then when you're like pointing a finger at someone and you're like, no, 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 no. Like they need to be canceled. And like, it's a little bit of a hard line. Cause I definitely hear people say stuff that I'm like, I don't want to ever hear them again. So like, where is that line between like, just straight up interpersonal white supremacist, <laughs> like there's a line obviously, right. That you have to be like, yeah, we got
0: to shut that person's
1: mic off. Like this isn't okay with their,
0: what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And then they, and then it gets twisted to, to, well, everyone's entitled to free speech. Actually. No, you're not.
1: Well, well I think if I mean- you're, if you're, if you are there's a difference between free speech and hate speech. Right. Yeah. And we do make that pretty clear. Right. Yeah. When it, no, like you are entitled to free speech, but hate speech is something completely different.
0: When well, you were saying a couple of days ago, that, like, you know, as awful as, as, as Trump is, he also brought to light a lot of like, basically hate speech.
1: Well, I think what Trump brought to light was something that, Many, many, many Americans already were living in. Yeah, He just for some, and it was the thing that white people politely don't like to talk about. And Trump just dropped all politeness. So for many people, they were like, yeah, Trump's every day. It was just that white people were seeing it put on display in a way that you're like, I can't believe that I'm seeing this. But people of color were like, this has always been here like why y'all shocked? Like, I remember Dr. J and I, we had a really long conversation around the day that the insurrection happens because our way of viewing it as Dr. J being biracial and me being white, our initial reactions to it were really different. My uh, Dr. J's or my initial reaction was like, I know that this is happening. And I understand logically how this is happening because we've been watching a buildup of this ever since we decided to put the largest microphone in the world in front of his fucking orange face. yeah. Um, So I wasn't surprised, but I, I was, there was a part of me and that was my white privilege, right? Where Dr. J being a biracial person was like, how the fuck are you surprised by this? That a bunch of white people can just walk into the Capitol with, with all the shit that they are and nobody's dying. Right. Like, so for Dr. J, it was like, how the fuck did you not expect this? How are you not surprised by it? And I'm like, well, there's a perfect example of my white privilege. Cause I was like, how the fuck is this the country I live in? Mm -hmm. And Dr. J was like, this is the country you've always lived in. We're just putting it full up on display now. Yeah. So that's what I think Trump did for us mm-hmm. is that where I think in polite society, people maybe weren't saying things with the biggest microphone in the world in front of them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Didn't mean that they didn't think it didn't mean that they weren't acting on it.
0: Yeah. And then it was like a double down. I feel like of like, well, he's just being real. No, he's not.
1: No, he's racist. Yeah. He is a straight up white supremacist racist. Yeah. And like, please save me your email because I don't want to hear it. Yeah. That's when, like, when we get into like cancel culture, like he should be canceled. Yes. <laughs> right. And I'm not being woke by saying that, like, no, when you start your campaign off with, you know, we have Mexicans coming over here who are rapists and murderers and drug Lords. Like, yeah, no, I don't think you deserve to have the largest microphone
0: in the world put in front of you. Yeah. He or, should have been canceled or, right then. and there. Or trans people are, you know, pedophiles and. All of it. All of it. All of
1: it. <clears throat> But in terms of like, how do you get people to see the systems? Like people like Trump aside, who I'm like, just your personal safety matters above everything else. Mm -hmm. And so, no, I don't expect you to go and like, get into like, you know, hand-to-hand combat with your white supremacist neighbor down the street. Right. Like I don't, your personal safety matters not to put yourself in those situations. How do you get somebody to, to see it? White folks, like in particular white cisgendered heteronormative folks, like you have to listen and take in the information from people who are actually living with the oppression. And it's not their job to explain it to you. Like there is so much information out there. You can go to your public library and probably get a pretty darn good education and like 25 cents of late fees. You just have to be willing to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's not my job to do it. It's not Alex's job. It's not Dr. J's job. It is not your best friend of color to tell you, like you have this information readily available for you. You just have to be willing to look at it. And if you're not, that's actually on you.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. We should all be doing this work.
1: Yeah. Did I stand on a soapbox for long enough today? (laughs) Am I an
0: asshole? Not at all. I'm in awe. (laughs) You're reading something to me. I th- I th- um, you mentioned shame. Uh, I think, I guess I thought I would just take the opportunity to, to um, go down the path of, I don't know. Should I talk about this? I read this to you earlier. Well, with mental wellness, I'm connecting it to mental wellness and gender and LGBTQ. Um, so this is like a little excerpt of from the book Beyond the Gender Binary by Alok who is one of our favorites. Oh, look, someday you, you will be- Manifest that shit, Please, babe. please come to our podcast. We would love to talk with you. We'd be so honored. Um, okay, so on page 19, they write, I learned about gender through shame. In so many ways, they became inseparable for me. As I grew older, people told me to stop being so feminine and, to, and grow up. Gender nonconformity is seen as something immature something we have to grow out of to become adults overnight. So many of the things that I loved not only became associated with femininity, but with shame because I was a quote unquote boy. And I no longer wanted to, I was no longer allowed to be a dancer or a fashion designer because I, because I was a quote, uh, um, boy, unquote, I had to stop, stop dancing, stop being myself. Most of this advice was offered with genuine concern. I suppose some people wanted to protect me from from bullying, but didn't realize that they were bullying me in the process. Others thought this was just part of, of growing up, but in so many ways, that's what made me even more depressed. How normal it was. How something so painful could be dealt so casually. This just resonated into every fiber of my being growing up as a non-binary kid who didn't i knew there was something different about me and i remember you know the basically the year and the age that i just stopped being myself yeah and then um got into a relationship and married a person who who reinforced you will not be yourself it was power and control over and over and over again So I finally got to the point where I was like, I'm fucking had enough of all of this, I'm done with all of this. But um, so yeah, we don't have to go down that that other road of you know <laughs> the emotional abusive system, anyway. Um, but how <laughs> the thing about shame is that it eats you until it fully consumes you, yeah, and then it becomes you. Hmm. you, you no longer need people at school that I'm still reading. I'm still actually reading. I'm jumping back into that, into the book here, people, you, you no longer need people at school to tell you to not dress like that. You shame yourself. You, you tell yourself you, you need to be quiet. You tell yourself you shouldn't be like this or dress like this or be yourself at all. And so I just think I want to do everything I can for all these little, you know, tiny humans coming up. And, and, and even I'm saying that, like, they already know they they're in a good spot. Yeah. But there's, there's a lot more work to be done. And again, this is the work of
1: us to see the system. Yeah. Not, not necessarily on the interpersonal level, like these kids know who they are. And what they're seeing is a system around them that is constantly telling them not to be.
0: Yeah. So
1: how do you change the system? So if we were going to close out with like one thing on here, I'd be like parents, it's your job to see the system and to not like gaslight your kid, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Schools, universities, organizations, you, this is the work that needs to be done. I think that's like a common question I get. Like when you know people are like, "You got to do the work." Well, what's the work? You got to start looking at these systems. You got to start thinking. Well, why would why would we be facing a mental health care crisis for kids for LGBTQ kids? Look at the systems around them. Yeah. Look at what is being taught to them. Look at the legislation that is coming. I, I guess I I struggle a little bit. When, and I'm trying to keep my own patience with people right now, but if you are telling me that you don't have the time to like, keep up to date on what's happening in like half what's going to be half the States in our country around LGBTQ rights, you really need to check your privilege. Mm -hmm. You really need to sit and ask yourself, how could you have gone this long? without knowing what was happening in these states. And please don't let your response be to a queer person. Oh, but I see happy queer people in those states. <laughs> like that somehow makes it okay. Mm-hmm. That is really harmful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I got told that a couple weeks ago at a soccer game. I almost picked up my chair and walked over somewhere else.
1: Yeah. It's the same thing. Robin D'Angelo said this about, um, after George, George Floyd was murdered. If you were a person that got to 2020 and you had not paid attention to what was happening to black and African-Americans in this country, you need to ask yourself, how was I able to go this long without knowing? And usually the answers to that question are the roadmap of the work that you need to do. Yeah. So I can't tell you what the work is. Alex can't tell you what the work is only you can do that, but I will tell you, you have to take in the lived experience of a lot of people around you that are different from you that have had different life experiences than you. And it is not yours to toxic positivity out of them, what their experiences have been, um, or to ignore or to think that it's about you. Mm-hmm that's usually a good place to start is just listening and taking in the experience.
0: Yeah. Should we share the seeing, seeing white podcast? I mean, that's a, if people are interested
1: in like race equity work, seeing white is usually a good place to start. Yeah. Um, which is seen on radio, which is s um, c e. How do you spell scene, I'll like a all, movie scene? Yeah, I'll
0: yeah. put the links in the.
1: Like that's a really good one to listen to because if you're listening to this, you like other podcasts. So seeing white is a really, really good one. Yeah, the sixteen nineteen project. Sixteen nineteen project. You can get that in book form, or you can listen to the podcast. Um, those are good. Uh, uh, the, 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 me and white supremacy. That's an active process because as you read the book, you journal, um, and you kind of re- reflect back a lot of things in your own experience. Um really good active process. I'm gonna say if you're an organization and you are looking for organizational work, uh Minal um Papai, and I will have Alex put the link in, but she wrote a book called Equity, How to Design Organizations Where Everyone Thrives. It's excellent and, and especially understanding um messaging, uh, inclusive messaging. That's I think she she didn't like to use the word expert, but I haven't used the word expert for her. She's an expert in that. Okay. Um, If you really want to go for a ride, you can go all the way back to the 1960s where PBS has a special about this called the blue-eyed brown-eyed experiment. And you can watch that to see what happened when a teacher named Jane Elliott dared to separate the children in her class from blue eyes and brown eyes and treating them different on different days to show how oppressive and racism works. Yeah. Those are all really great resources. Yeah. If you're willing to do the work. Yep. Okay. Thank you for sharing. Those are some of the things I usually. It's a good roadmap, right? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. We all start somewhere.
1: I guess, like, I, yeah, I hope that people got something from this, um, this episode, mm-hmm. and um, giving me a little bit of space to just kind of talk about like stuff that matters to me this work that it really does matter to me. And I hope that I am able to say it in a way that you feel like you can connect with it um, because there is a place for everyone in doing this work, regardless of where you're at, please don't be embarrassed or thinking that you have to have all the answers. You just have to be willing to ask the questions.
0: Yes. Okay. I think I'm out. I think I'm done. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for listening. We're done. I'm no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> Um, Thank you for listening. Go, I will put um, all of the links to the books in the podcasts that we discussed today in the description. If you have not already seen it, Um, you can contact us at howtobequeerpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook and Instagram, Balls of Magic and How to Be Queer. They're kind of the same. It's so and, amazing I don't know any of this. <laughs> and also you've seen, youth scene youthseen.org also find them on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, all the things. So, thank you for listening. We love you until next time. Y'all, we wouldn't be here without YouthScene, the organization that sponsors this podcast. How to be queer? YouthScene envisions a society where young people are empowered as individuals to access non-judgmental and unbiased treatment in every aspect of their lives. They encourage the creative creation of a community that celebrates everyone's worth, d- diverse characteristics, and dignity. YouthScene provides mental wellness resources, education, and support for all the LGBTQ communities, including youth and their families. So head on over to Youth Scene, that's youth, S-E-E-N.org, and click on connect to give your money to support this organization dedicated to supporting our queer, trans, black, indigenous people of color communities.